The Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and whilst I did edit this episode and I'm recording this intro, you will not hear me for the next hour or so. This is my co-host, Lani's Time to Shine. She goes online under the name Copper Dust, and in this episode, she interviewed the author Joe Harris from the Song of Achilles and the Iliad fan community. I hope you don't miss me too much, but I promise this is worth a listen. Joe Harris, who also goes by Joe, how dare she, has written a number of stories in that fandom, including canon-compliant NAU works, both one-shots and multi-chapters. She and Lani discuss what it means to write fanfiction based on an ancient classic, especially one that occupies such a culturally dominant role in her home country, Greece. They discuss writing for a fandom that is ostensibly in the public domain, writing a very foreign culture context, and finding relevance in an artwork that's nearly 3,000 years old. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. So uh, today I'm speaking to Joe, and not the typical Joe that you're used to, which is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand. This is a different Joe. Um, she goes by Joe Harris on AO3 and on Tumblr, and I'm going to be speaking with her about her work in the Song of Achilles slash Iliad fandom. Joe, do you want to say hi? Hi. So, uh, normal Joe, Pebbly Sand is not with us today because this is going to be um, a special interview where we're talking about kind of the unique aspect of fandom where Joe and I have been working with stories that are thousands of years old with the Iliad. Um, and Joe is going to be talking about writing for fandom that is kind of public domain, kind of not. Um, she's also going to talk about actually living in Greece and growing up with the Iliad as part of her culture. Um, and how that makes for kind of a unique fandom experience, as well as her very beloved stories, which have grown very popular in the Song of Achilles fandom. So, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first got interested? Right. Okay. So, um, I haven't been in fandom for too long, I think, compared to other people. Um, I, I didn't even know what fanfic was um, until really recently, I think maybe 2019 or something. That's when I started writing mm-hmm. um, and I started with, you know, fantasy, Dragon Age. And then I was writing for that fandom for a, quite a while. And then I think um, The Song of Achilles was the first fandom that I sort of branched out of, you know, your classic fantasy, you know, epic Mm -hmm. fantasy sort of thing. Um, So that was fun. Mm -hmm. And yeah, after that, I've dabbled in a few other fandoms as well. Uh, But yeah, it's been constant since then. So how old were you when you were first getting interested in fandom? Oh, I think I must have been maybe 27, 28, I think. Okay, so so you were actually quite a bit older than like most people who typically get into fandom in like their early teens um i i interviewed uh, another person a few months ago ruby who also mentioned that she had only gotten into it around 19 and that she she already felt like oh everybody else has been in this for years and i'm new to it um and it's it's pretty uncommon for somebody to get into it around like 27 or so because usually people who get in do it young um, yeah. I, I have kind of more of a typical story where I got into it very young. And so by the time I was this age, like I've kind of seen it grow and change a lot over the mm-hmm. course of my life. So why why not be a part of it for so long and then get into it? I didn't know that it existed. <laughs> I had never really followed um, any sort of content or media enough uh, or searched for it enough to know that there was such a thing. You know, the people would gather in online places and, you know, write things about their favorite characters or make art um, or write meta. I didn't even know, you know, I didn't have a Tumblr. I didn't have anything. I was really, mm-hmm. yeah, just out of the scene completely. And, but yeah, it was like a new world just opened mm-hmm. up. <laughs> was this something that has to do with language? Because like when you're looking at fandom online, is it all in English? Yeah, it is. 
Um, I don't think I often see other languages, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It just never really happened for me until then. But I assume English is not your first language. It's not, but I have lived abroad for years, and even then, I didn't know <laughs> what it was. So okay, so because because we did an episode. Well, Joe. Original flavor Joe did an episode where she talked about um, people who write in English as their second、uh -huh. language because her first language is、mm -hmm. French, and they were talking about how kind of a lot of like fandom culture on the internet is very English language dominated. Even though quite a lot of those people are not speaking、mm -hmm. English as their first language, they're just using English as a、mm -hmm. kind of communal language.、Um, even though there is like a huge like、mm -hmm. Mandarin internet that I'm not a part of, but I'm aware that it's there. And、uh, I think it was a Mandarin-speaking fan who like broke Ao3 with a number of tags on the fic that they were writing. That's a that's、oh, a whole yeah, other story. But like one one、yeah. person broke the website by putting so many tags on her story. Yeah.、Um, mm -hmm. But I I've I've always been interested in how people who who、uh, don't speak English in their first as their first language sort of come to this decision to use English on the internet. Is it just for a bigger audience or? I think it has to do with. Um, connecting with you know as many people as possible because everyone sort of speaks English, so、mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to find you know someone that you know speaks the same language as you. And even if you do, it's a really small pocket of people. But when you know when everyone talks the same language,、mm -hmm. then you can reach you know people, you know talk with people, connect with others from all over the world. And I think it does help with you know staying anonymous as well. You know, not everyone wants to、um, you know. To to speak in their own language online, we just don't want that.、Mm -hmm. So unless、uh, there's a few others, I think also Russian. I think there's a there's a big sort of Russian language internet because a lot of people in Eastern Europe outside of Russia also speak Russian. But those are kind of the three main、okay. internet worlds that I've seen in terms of like fan culture. Because、oh. I mean, obviously, like on Facebook, when people are talking with their Friends, they'll speak whatever their home language is. But then I、mm -hmm. think when people are getting into like speaking to people they don't know on the internet, a lot of the times they use English just for that like wider audience. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how you became interested in、um, the Iliad and and the Song of Achilles. Right.、Um, so that's a long story because we used to do that in in school. So we were taught that in school. Um, all of the most of the big epics, you know, the ancient Greek epics,、uh, and even before that, you know, you would have、uh, lots of kids have like little books with, you know, the simplified versions of the Iliad or the like the picture book version. Of yeah, exactly. So I, I would have that since you know I can remember myself.、Um, it was everywhere, and you know, you see that all the time whenever you go in museums. Um, so I had this sort of, you know, knowledge, like general knowledge、mm -hmm. of the work, and Homer and everything, but it never really clicked for me. You know, I, I was like, okay, so who's this Achilles and what does he do? And oh, he's just, you know, the wrath of Achilles, and you know, Patroclus died, and who cares? I mean, I did like it, but I wasn't、mm -hmm. really invested. It was just some, you know, a thing. It was just. Um, this sort of、um, epic story that's thousands of years old, and I didn't really care that much about the characters. But then, so so I I just want to interrupt、yeah. you there because、um, for those people listening who are not familiar with the Iliad, I think、mm -hmm. to your typical modern kid or teenager, if you if you weren't already quite familiar with it, I think the first thing. That would strike you about the story is that it's incredibly violent and it's、mm. it's very vicious because、um, mm. ancient warfare,、um, which is at the center of the story, like there's no concept of war crimes or human rights, like they don't exist, and they wouldn't they wouldn't have understood the concept of like conducting a war and yet respecting human rights. Like ancient warfare was winner take all, right? The the yeah. So、um, I mean, there is this element of violence, and and the thing is that、um, you know I think that the most important thing to keep in mind when you know thinking about the Iliad and other like ancient works, I mean especially I, I don't know you know in general ancient works, not just ancient Greek works,、mm -hmm. is just you know just take the keep the context in mind because yes, you do have the violence, but when we talk about human you know human rights and like, being kind or you know the, these sort of ideas are not the same in ancient Greece and the same you know in our world in our time.
So there is there is a code, you know, you still have you have the violence, but there is a code that they follow, you know, most of the people there follow mm -hmm. and you see a lot of chivalry too, you know, they're not all, they don't hate, they don't really hate each other, you know, even the Greeks and the Trojans, mm -hmm. you know, there is sort of report there, even when they fight, you know, they respect each other. And, you know, this, I'm not going to go into the whole, you know, Achilles and Perseus mm -hmm. um, thing, but yeah. But at the time, like a thousand, like 2,500 years ago, well, not more than that, this would be more closer to 3,000 years ago, that would have been considered a normal way of, of conducting life. I mean, I think the, the, the point I'm making is that like, you're probably aware of the historical context because you learned about this mm -hmm. like at school, right? Because you live in Greece and growing up, they would have kind of made it clear of like what your history was and that things and people lived in the past yeah. according to a moral code that to us now would feel very alienating. But I think for people coming to that story who did not yeah. grow up in, in Greece, um, learning that stuff from a young age and having that context explained, I think it would be hard to just sort of walk into that story with no historical context and understand like what the hell is going on. Mm -hmm. In the same way, I think that like when I was a little kid and, and my mom used to read to me stories that were set in the Victorian period in the 19th century, um, like she had to like explain to me about things like the Victorian idea of modesty and and what was inappropriate because of course for us you know it would be absurd to think that it's inappropriate to say pass the chicken legs at the dinner table but like in victorian england that would have been considered mm -hmm. inappropriate so i think that there's this like cultural understanding that if it's like not in place then the story won't make sense yeah i think that maybe there's you know there, there's an extra layer when someone you know not from this culture although i don't think it really has to do with culture it has it's you know it's sort of a you know anyone can get into it i think mm -hmm. it's uh, really embedded into western you know culture and literature so anyone reading past the the bare minimum you know anyone reading past the you know the surface level of things can sort of see that there is um it's it's a very strict and rigid kind of culture um, you know, yes, there's the violence and the, it's ex quite explicit too, but it goes beyond that. They still, you know, they still hold those um, ideals in mind, you know, when they, you know, even when you have the fights and everything, mm -hmm. it's still, <laughs> it's not complete chaos. I mean, there's a method to the madness for sure. Mm -hmm. And and so again, just to make this uh, make a little bit more sense for people who are listening to this, who are maybe not familiar with the story. Um, so at the same time as they do things that for us in the modern world, I think we would consider to be horrifying war crimes, um, they also have their own sort of moral and ethical code. And uh, there are consequences for people who break it. And you will see people reacting in horror when um, mm -hmm. Agamemnon, who's sort of like the um, the biggest and wealthiest king and kind of because of his wealth, the leader of the military expedition, um, when he sacrifices his own daughter's life to get uh, fair winds um, for sailing, like other characters do react in horror, mm. like, as in like, that's not acceptable. Uh, because even in mm -hmm. ancient Greece, like human sacrifice was not acceptable, you did animal sacrifice. So you see, you see people do horrific things that were at the time acceptable in their moral code, and everybody acts like it's normal, except for the modern reader. And then you see them do things that even in that time were considered unacceptable and people will like characters will react in kind of shock and horror. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, um, there, there's a lot of contrasting elements. I think, you know, as you said, there are some things that, you know, there are many things that we would, you know, as, as modern readers would find really, um, extreme, but, uh, for them, it wasn't that much, but still, I think that, um, as a work, the Iliad has kind of a, you know, as a big scope, you know, it has, um, you know, the, the gods that are meddling all the time. You have these mm -hmm. kind of scenes where, you know, you have these bigger than life characters um, or, you know, Achilles um, killing so many mm -hmm. people that he clogged up the river and he had to fight the river. You know, these things are, are, are sort of in the realm of, you know, fantasy and mythos, and even then, to the I think to the um, you know to the people that were listening, you know, to the bards singing it, it sounded quite awesome. You know, it did um, evoke you know awe and wonder and even horror. 
that's I think that's part a big part of the work itself. Mm-hmm. You know, the Iliad as a work, it's quite you know bigger than life. You know, it's the age of heroes. Um, you have all those characters, and um, yeah. So I don't know how normal they would have considered it even then, but you do see a lot of things about you know how uh, they lived. You know the um, the hierarchies. Uh, a lot of cultural um, references, you know, how they would train, what they would do, you know, with grief, with joy, with, you know, all those things, uh, which are very normal and very human and very, so you have the small things, you know, the everyday mm-hmm. things, the normal things, and you have those huge, you know, in life themes as well in there. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think if, if you spend time with the story and don't immediately rush to judge it based on your first impression, you'll come to understand why it has lasted so long and, and why people are still reading it now. Because there is like, even for somebody who, who, you know, has no personal experience of war, I think there are aspects of it that really feel very, uh, human and down to earth and not just epic fantasy. Like there, there's little moments in it that feel relatable, not necessarily in a directly literal sense, but that, that feel like you can, you can empathize even with some characters that do things where you think like this is horrifying. And yet they also have kind of like a human side where you can see what I think we would now refer to as PTSD, which obviously wouldn't have been understood in that way and yet it's it's still reflected in their character's behavior yeah it's really it's really interesting to see you know as you said you have those moments that um you know that that make you think that people are people you know no matter where you are what time Mm -hmm. period you know you have hector with you know, with a baby, you know, you know, with uh, his wife, you know, saying goodbye and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really, yeah. I mean, and like taking off his helmet so he won't scare the baby. Like, yeah, I know. It's so cute. <laughs> I love those moments. Um, it's just really, I, I know, I love it because it's such a human work. You know, you have um, so many moments that are just so sweet and kind of, you know, sensitive and human compared to all the killing, you know, and also how those people react to the killing and how they sort of even respect each other, even though they're killing mm-hmm. each other. You know, I think that's quite uh, interesting as well. Um, and, you know, all, all of this, you know, the theme of, of grief and how it's being handled differently mm-hmm. by um, different people um, and depending on the relationships as well that they have with each other. Uh, it's really interesting to see. So with that all being said, why were you not into this until recently? Like why, why did it kind of not appeal to you? And then what made it appeal to you? I think that, um, well, you know, the way we learn about it in school, it's very, you know, quite dry, you know, you would, we would, you know, read out those parts and then we would sort of analyze them and learn the context and the historical, uh, you know, yeah, background and everything. But it, it wasn't, we never really focused on, you know, the relationships between the characters, um, especially, you know, the main characters, Achilles and Patroclus, you know, <laughs> uh, they were always friends, comrades, mm-hmm. um, and that didn't really, it never really caught my attention. But then, you know, when I read the Song of Achilles and it sort of brought it down to a more human level and a, a more personal level, um, more about the relationship between, um, you know, these two main characters and how this influenced Mm -hmm. the entire story that really really moved me it really captivated me and i just had to explore it more Mm -hmm. and what and uh were you just like how old were you when you first read the song of achilles i think maybe 28 or something okay so it was fairly recently like it wasn't when the book first came out because i know the book's been out like uh oh no quite a while now it was it was it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, it, it'd been out for a while and I, I knew it was around, I'd seen it and I was like, why would I read another ancient Greek retelling, you know, something, whatever, of a Greek legend, a Greek myth? I'm not interested, you know, I mm-hmm. didn't really want to see it. <laughs> and I didn't even know it was about, you know, the relationship between 
Achilles and Patroclus, you know, as lovers, mm -hmm. I thought it would be, you know, maybe Thetis talking about Achilles, you know, um, I had no idea. I wasn't really, I hadn't really looked into it. And then it fell into my hands. I bought it, but then I forgot about it. And then I read it months and months later. Mm -hmm. And I just really love it. So I was very reluctant to get into it. Even as I was opening the book, I was like, what even is that? But then I read the first page and I loved it. <laughs> and I thought like, I felt like a fool for not having read it before. Um, did you read it in English? Yeah, I did. Do you feel like it would have lost something in translation? I do feel that most books lose something in translation so whenever i can read the original language i do um so most of my reading is in english these days mm -hmm. is that just because then there's more books like there are more options yes that too that too but i i love reading you know the the work as the writer intended you know the the translator has to change some things sometimes you know in order to convey the work as it needs to be conveyed so that might result in, you know, changing some word structures, changing mm -hmm. some elements, the tone sometimes. So um, I always prefer to read the original when I can. Um, so after you read the Song of Achilles, like how much time passed before you're like, I need to write something? None. <laughs> as soon as I finished it, just I had to write something. <laughs> I was just typing on my phone. And so uh, the first... <laughs> Thing you've published looks to be the story Memories and Echoes, is that correct? No, the first story I I wrote and published was High Flying Birds. That was my f the first ever one. Okay, it's just been updated more more recently. It was updated, yeah, it wasn't updated very recently, but <laughs> uh, it was the first ever I wrote. Okay, and can you talk a little bit about um, the idea of that story? Oh, oh it's... Um, it's really close to my heart, this one, because, you know, I was fresh out of reading it. I had just put down the book. I was crying my eyes out. Um, I was really mm -hmm. emotional. So I just had to do something with all, the, all those emotions. So um, I just started typing on my phone. Um, the first couple of chapters were on my phone, basically, and just whatever I could jot down at work, um, you know, in my mm -hmm. notebook. And um, I published them. I didn't really think that anyone would read it. I was just doing it for, for you know, for myself. Um, but you know, I I, I love that there were other people that you know felt the same things I did. That you know they wanted more from canon. They wanted to get more. You know the all those little scenes in between. You know the the events in the book, and to get more from you know, Achilles POV, um, and, you know, delve a bit deeper into Patroclus' mind as well. Um, I really just wanted to get more, you know, I wanted to process my feelings, mostly, because, you know, there were, there were a lot of them, and then I just wanted to also uh, expand the book, because I loved it so much, I didn't want it to end. <laughs> and I, I wanted to ask you a bit about the character of Achilles, because... Um, I think even if you don't know the story, you're, you're, you'll, like everyone is aware of the phrase Achilles heel. And I think your average person mm. who doesn't really know the story would be like, yeah, I know it had something to do with his heel being weak. Like, I think, I think that's like your mm. typical person's awareness. And then some people might be able to go, um, go a little further and say, yeah, I know he, he was something like a warrior. But what, what strikes me about his character mm -hmm. is that he's the type of person who, like, in many other types of story would be the character that you hate. He's sort of effortless, effortlessly beautiful, gifted without having to try very hard, rich, privileged, very entitled, very sort of egocentric. Seems to, like, in a very innocent and naive way, believe that the whole world revolves around him. He's kind of like a, a nepotism baby. Like, in, 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 in most narratives, that sort of character is, like, the villain. And yet, somehow, he's made to be lovable, even as he does atrocious things, even as he makes very self-centered choices. <laughs> like, like, even as he, he like, he'll, like, unironically say, I am the best and I know it, you know, th these are characteristics that usually don't make a character lovable. Well, I think that Achilles is a very um, interesting and layered character 
personally, I think. Um, and the reason why he is lovable and, you know, he has inspired so many people is because he has all those layers. Um, it's easy at first glance to dismiss him as this sort of mm-hmm. um, egocentric, you know, really prideful, um, gifted and arrogant person. And, you know, he has all those elements, you know, he has this arrogance in his pride. Um, but I think what makes him so compelling to, you know, to me, and I'm sure, you know, other people as well, is that it's not just that. And it's, I personally think that, you know, he, he is arrogant sometimes, but first of all, he has reason to be because yes, he's the best, you know, it's, it's unarguable. He's unarguably the best, you know, he isn't saying anything, you know, yeah, he's yeah, like he literally. And also, um, he's right. He's right in his wrath, I believe, you know, he, he had reason to be so angry. Um, you know, Agamemnon was the one that did the, the horrible thing. Um, so I think it was, you know, Achilles had the reason to react the way he did. And he explains it, you know, really eloquently um, how much, you know, of an insult it would be if he just sat back and, you know, accepted whatever Agamemnon was doing. Um, and then even when they went there to try to change his mind, he still wouldn't change his mind because it was, so, you know, such a big insult. Um, and I think that's something that gets lost in, in translation and gets lost in time. Um, how big of an issue that would really be back then, you know, and how he really had no other choice other than to, you know, abstain from the war. Um, really, uh, you know, even when they were asking him, you know, to join and giving him all those gifts, even that was insulting, you know, if you take that in the context of the time and even, you know, without the context, if you just you know, see it from his own point of view. Um, he's right to be so mad. You know, of course, that led him to having, you know, uh, you know, this hor- horrible end and Patroclus as well. Um, but yeah, I think that the reason why he's so compelling is because, you know, there's, a, there's an element to the way he acts that a lot of people even now, you know, might, might be, you know, they might do the same thing or something similar, you know. He's not just, you know, being crazy about it. Mm-hmm. I think, um, so my uh, interest in this topic came about the, through the, the most kind of strange um, and roundabout way because what I was actually interested in was the Vietnam War, which feels mm-hmm. like it has nothing to do with anything here. Um, but I, I read this book as part of my research into a fic that I'm writing. And the book I read was called... Um, Achilles in Vietnam, uh, combat trauma and the undoing of character. And it basically examines like real life experiences of Vietnam veterans and their trauma through the lens of a rereading of mm-hmm. the Iliad that sort of compares the experiences of soldiers in the Trojan War to um, what soldiers experienced in Vietnam and sort of points out similarities, but also differences. And so that was kind of what made me interested in the story, but the, the author really, um, emphasizes that the, basically what the, um, insult that Agamemnon does to Achilles is he humiliates him. And mm-hmm. in, in ancient Greece, um, that was an insult to your honor. And it, it was an honor culture in the same way that we mm-hmm. see some societies now have honor cultures where you'll have honor killings mm-hmm. because honor is so central and important. And so, like in an honor culture, your honor is like, it's, it's like everything. And I think it's hard for us to understand if we're not from an honor culture, what that's like, because it's, it's just sort of beyond us, but it's the sort of thing where people will commit suicide if their honor is yeah. besmirched. Like it's, it's like a, a shame lower than death kind of, which again, it's, it's, it's just yeah. hard to relate to if you're not from that, but it, it would have felt to Achilles, like, especially as somebody who's never been humiliated or embarrassed in his life and who's always been Uh at the top of the social hierarchy and who's never had to sort of serve or be beneath anyone in his life, it would have felt Mm -hmm. like this sort of humiliation. It's like below death. It's yeah, it's, you know, it is part of the culture. 
um, you know, glory and honor were the most important things, basically more important than riches, you know, and, and wealth and all of that. Um, and it's doubly so for Achilles that um, actually, you know, had the prophecy, he knew about the prophecy, he knew that he would be done um, an early death in exchange for all this glory. And now to have this thing that he actually, you know, he's giving his life away for that, and to have that besmirched in that sort of way, you know, I would be pretty pissed as well. I would be really angry if I were him. So I, I get where he's coming from. Um, he he does, he might, you know, react in, in extreme ways the way we see it. But um, it's it's understandable, even if you if you see through a modern lens, you know, something you've sacrificed so much for that. And then it's just suddenly, you know, taken away from you um or ruined completely you know it's really it, it's, it's it's easy to see where he's coming from i think mm -hmm. and so so you sat down to write uh your first story which was like a retelling of the song of achilles but from achilles perspective and so that was kind of since when you read the song of achilles it's from patroclus's perspective but achilles is very much the focal character so it's like because Patroclus, like, he's always thinking about Achilles, and every, every, he's always central, you know, in every scene that he's in. And so when you were writing, writing High Flying Birds, did you decide to sort of invert that? I'm not sure. Um, so I do have, uh, there are some chapters that, um, most chapters are from Patroclus' POV uh, point of view. Um, and I think that I wasn't really interested in, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind, at least, you know, not for that particular work, because, um, the Song of Achilles itself is, um, you know, it's a, you know, Patroclus going through his memories and, you know, thinking of Achilles and, you know, it's the Song of Achilles, basically, you know, he's just telling, you know, narrating his life with him. And so it's it's normal that he's um, in the center of his mind, and everything mm -hmm. revolves around Achilles for Patroclus um, in that work. I I didn't want to take away from that, um, you know, by showing all sorts of things that might be going around at the time. You know, I do have plans for um, the later chapters um, of the work. Uh, where we are in Troy and, um, you know, there's more characters there that are involved um, to, you know, delve a bit deeper into that. But mostly I wanted to stick to that feeling, you know, that you get when you read um, the Song of Achilles that basically, you know, Achilles is his whole world in that moment because he's, he's sort of focusing on his memories of him is like a tether through the through the, you know, the, the span of the story. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I really like that aspect of the book. So I really wanted to keep that, um, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so um, what kind of reaction would you say you've gotten from readers? Um, it's been really positive so far. Um, I, I've, I'm really, you know, I've, I've gotten some um, comments that really touched me. Uh, and I've stayed with me uh, because, it, you know, basically mm -hmm. I'm really happy and touched that, you know, so many other people um, feel the same, you know, I do. And I feel happy to sort of provide <laughs> um, these sort of extra scenes that we might not have seen um, otherwise. Mm -hmm. I've invested a lot of time, uh, you know, researching and, you know, for this particular work, um, you know, I've read a lot of other works. Um, you know, ancient, you know, plays and, you know, relating to that, uh, to the, to the Iliad and, you know, before that and other works that um, Madeline Miller mm -hmm. might have been inspired by, uh, you know, to get of a, an idea. And in some of them, I've even had my own spin uh, in some um, arcs. And I was really, really grateful for the positive, um, you know, uh, and encouraging feedback I've received. Mm -hmm. So... We wanted to ask, um, like, ostensibly, you could sort of massage these stories and publish them as original fiction retellings of the Iliad, which is in the public domain. Um, but you've chosen to sort of keep them within this realm of fan fiction. So why why did you make that choice? Mm -hmm. um, so it's it was quite a 
a conscious choice, you know, uh, on my part, uh, because, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't in some some of the stories that I, I write that I've written, you know, with Achilles and Patroclus, um, they they are inspired by the Iliad or they're inspired by, you know, the, the song of Achilles or Hades, you know, itself, you know, those sort of retellings um, mm-hmm. and the some of my, most most of my stories i think the the song of achilles you know focus stories they sort of use that as a base or use those elements and this is something that i wanted to do to get you know i wasn't really interested in you know retelling the iliad itself you know i do sometimes um I get inspired by you know the iliad as a work uh but mostly it's some of the elements in those, you know, the book and the game that we know that have inspired me and I wanted to explore a bit more. So this is why I, uh, you know, most of my stories are, you know, fanfic <laughs> and they're not uh, original because they're, they are in the original, you know, for the time being, you know, in the future I might write something that's more, you know, Iliad inspired. But for the time being, um, mm-hmm. I'm happy just playing around, you know, that sandbox. Uh, and I have a lot more to say, I think. But yes, it's something I really enjoy, just taking media, you know, books and stories that I love and sort of, you know, changing them a bit and taking them for a spin. And I think it's really fun. And it's a little pressure too, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. How have you found that, like, being in this fandom is different than basically any other fandom that isn't also uh, a, a whole country's like national identity <laughs> like literally any other fandom that, that isn't that isn't you know mandatory reading at public school and has statues all over the place and you know that must be kind of like a different experience than just being a yeah. fan of anything else. It is. It's, it's very different. Uh, first of all, it's different because you have all those different iterations and retellings um, mm-hmm. that you don't really have with other, you know, with other media and fandoms. Um, here you have the same characters that have been, uh, that have appeared in, you know, hundreds and thousands of works. You have, especially Achilles, you know, you have all those different portrayals of him some of them are so contradictory as well. Um, so mm-hmm. you could write something from the most, mm-hmm. you know, with Achilles being the most lovable, sweet, bubbly, you know, bright presence um, to the most, you know, psychotic person you could meet, you know, narcissistic, completely, you know, abusive. Um, you can, you have it all, you have the whole spectrum. And I think that's really interesting and kind of freeing, to be honest, because it allows you to be, um, as creative as you want. So basically, you know, the, the characters that we have, you know, Achilles, Patroclus, Agamemnon, all of those, they're, they're basically character archetypes. Um, so you have those elements that are really, mm-hmm. we have learned them to be basic now. They're not, they weren't quite basic back then, maybe, but now because, you know, they've inspired so much other media they they've become um this archetype that uh you know you you can add on to uh you can take away you can um change a little bit and because it's such an old Mm -hmm. work it it allows you to be flexible um and i think that's really interesting it's it really compels me when i'm writing Mm -hmm. and i've i've noticed as well that you've also written a number of au's where you're sort of removing them from that original context and um, sometimes reshaping the dynamic of their relationship in certain ways and, and other times not. Um, one of my favorite stories that you wrote, like it's pretty short, but I, I really loved it. Um, and that's the one, you're a walking disaster and yet, and so uh, for those of you who haven't read it, it's one where um, it's basically set in the modern day in a place that's non-specific and at, the, at, at this moment not really important. It's like a suburban neighborhood and um, they're, they're kids who are maybe 12 years old and um, Patroclus has been sent to be cared for by Achilles' father and Achilles is this kid who's kind of, uh, shall we say, poorly behaved. 
uh, a little bit psych. <laughs> he's, 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 he's a little, a little bit psycho. Unhinged. He's like yeah. you know, he's like that that kid yeah. that you see in middle school who's like the first kid to do drugs and shoplift. That kind of kid. He's just a creepy. He's a creepy and child. Like, ri- like very rich, very <laughs> spoiled. Has a father who like mm-hmm. clearly doesn't discipline him, but will sort of laugh when he misbehaves. And um, yeah. there's something with that story that's like very moving because. I feel like in the portrayal of childhood, there is something very real about kids and like the way they interact with each other that that felt real. Mm-hmm. There was something very uh, homey and relatable where it's crazy how you took these characters in this context so wildly removed from my own life. Like the original context of the Iliad, like there could be nothing more different mm-hmm. from the day to day of my personal existence but then you brought them back to being like kids in a Mm. suburb going to like a convenience store and then it felt very much like i know this Mm. place like i know this time and yet they're the same people (laughs) but it's a different universe um so when you're writing an, an alternate universe like what have what do you decide what has to stay the same about the characters in order for them to keep their integrity as being those people um wow that's such an interesting question um because i think that depending on what version of achilles and patroclus you might be writing um you can you can you can use different elements you know you can um so it really depends on what story i'm trying to say with this alternative universe, uh, what elements I want to focus on. So it really mm-hmm. depends on, you know, what, what what the theme of the story is. In this particular one, the one that you just mentioned, the modern alternative universe, I really wanted to focus on Patroclus's loneliness. Um, he's, um, mm-hmm. y- you know, he's so lonely and kind of, um, you know, this isolated and abandoned child uh, that really has mm-hmm. nowhere to go. Um, you know, um, it's, it's really, I think it's something, I I think that's always something that features in Mm -hmm. my works, to be honest, in one of Mm -hmm. those things, um, you know, Patroclus' childhood and how he ended up in uh, Peleus' care. I think that's something of a constant, uh, whenever I've written them. Um, and in this one, you know, it's really fun to explore for me, you know, this dynamic of Achilles being this kind of sort of mm-hmm. creepy, crazy, chaotic child um, that it, it's sort of, um, but who still has this need for a connection. I think that's that's the most important thing for me. Um, you know, that Patroclus has this, um, you know, he's so soft and, you know, he's a bit mopey as well sometimes, you know, he's so mm-hmm. sensitive and you see Achilles and you think, wow, that's, that's a, a tiny killing machine, basically, but um he's also quite soft too you know he's also he needs company he's alone most of the time he's on <laughs> he left his own devices he doesn't know boundaries um but um he still finds something really uh comforting about patroclus and how quiet and you know caring he is and i think that's really really fun to explore there's something about young Achilles that reminds me of the children that I've seen on the show Super Nanny, which is a reality show about uh, parents who basically don't know how to do discipline and their children are out of control with bad behavior. But when you watch the show, you always notice how what's basically going on is that there's no structure or routine and the parents basically ignore the kids and like throw objects and food at them as like consolations when the kids inevitably get upset and agitated um, and how the, what, what the, the behavior that's coming out of the kids is really a kind of like severe agitation from not receiving the parental affection and structure that they actually need. Mm-hmm. And I think to some extent Ach- Achilles is, you know, whether it's in an AU or in the original context, like because he's in a position of such privilege, but his his father just kind of thinks it's cute, whatever he does, um, and he and he never seems to receive any discipline. Um, sometimes because of his social status, because that sort of behavior is expected from a boy in that time period, or for other reasons, depending on the AU, like his his behavior is sort of wild and out of control and it's kind of 
a, a cry for help. Like, I think he, he wants someone to step in and lay down some boundaries. <laughs> and I, I think almost Patroclus fulfills that yeah. for him by being the one to be like, you know, I, I think what you're doing is wrong. Like, I think, I think you're going too far this time. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, there, there are many different ways to see, you know, the relationship, you know, you can actually see Patroclus as the one having the one brain cell in that relationship, which is fair, you know, it could be done. But it's also really fun for me to think of them as equally, you know, as bad as each other. So they're just enabling each other to do silly things. Mm -hmm. Not dangerous things necessarily, but um, um, I don't know, <laughs> you know, how successful Patroclus would be in saying no to Achilles. He just wants to follow, um, even when he does something silly, uh, I think he would just love the experience of being there and experiencing the, you, you know, the shebang of whatever Achilles has in mind. Uh, I think that would mm -hmm. be really fun. But I, I think that what Patroclus uh, provides for him um, in many, you know, different, you know, universes, or even, you know, the canon universe is, you know, the stability that maybe, maybe he didn't really have understanding, you know, someone really to listen to him. Uh, in earnest, and you know, be his his companion. Basically, I think that's what he, what Achilles needed. Mm -hmm. And he kind of he doesn't have within the original canon context, he doesn't have an equal because he's a prince, right? Yeah. Like his social status causes him to be above everyone else. And further, he's also a demigod, so he's like physically, he's so much more gifted and athletic and beautiful than everyone else that like, it's not possible for him to find somebody who's an equal to him. Like mm -hmm. it, it can't be done. And I think what he finds in, in Patroclus is rather than an equal, somebody willing to say, we can, we can keep playing games against each other, even though I always lose mm -hmm. or like we can, we can play and be friends despite the fact that we'll never be equals. Yeah. I, you know, and, yeah. and somebody willing to sort of let go of the impossible task of ever being his equal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's really, it's a very interesting um, element as well. Uh, both in, you know, the Song of Achilles, where you have uh, Patroclus that is so much uh, worse than Achilles in those things, you know, in fighting and running and um, sparring, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And also in canon where Patroclus is um, a really good fighter, actually, you know, he's really strong and, and amazing. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting to see in both contexts, both the TS, you know, the, the Song of mm -hmm. Achilles context and the original context, because again, um, you know, whatever Patroclus did, he would never be quite as good as Achilles, even if he was the best, you know, warrior ever, he would still be, you know, uh, you know, a, a bit lower um, than Achilles. But the thing is that Patroclus isn't prideful, you know, he isn't antagonistic, he isn't competitive. Um, he just loves Achilles, you know, he just wants to be, you know, their friends, their companions. So um, most of all. So um, I think that that is also mm -hmm. something that maybe, um, you know, who knows, maybe young Achilles, you know, was really um, drawn to. Mm -hmm. And I think also for me, from my experience with real children, I think it would be very hard to find a real child who is content with losing all the time and always being worse, right? Because kids are human and they get frustrated, <laughs> right? So I think that what is yeah. sort of exceptional and remarkable about Patroclus is his willingness to always be in that position and to be able to lose with a smile every time. Yeah. I think that's kind of yeah. like exceptional and different. And that's sort yeah. of... I think, yeah, that's, it's really sweet. And I like also thinking about that maybe, you know, Patroclus is, is better at other things. You know, maybe he beats him at other things, um, like board games or something, you never know. But yeah, the, for the most part, it's, I think it's really a huge part of uh, Patroclus' character that he just doesn't, he doesn't feel competitive against him. He admires him, um, but he, I don't think that he ever thought that, you know, he would want to be on the same exact level or, you know, begrudge him begrudge Achilles mm -hmm. his, you know, 
divinity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also like in ancient Greece, like equality is not a virtue that people strive for. Like people are not, people did not have this belief that we have now that like, you know, a romantic relationship can't be a healthy one unless both people are equal in, in power. Like there, there would have been kind of no understanding of that idea in ancient Greece. This, there, there would have been no expectation that any kind of relationship necessarily had to be one of people with, with equal power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that's an, an interesting dynamic to explore. Yeah. So, um, as we wrap up the interview, I wanted to ask if you have any favorite stories by other authors you'd like to recommend. Um, so I don't really read as much as I should or as I would want, uh, but I do uh, love the, um, the works by mm -hmm. uh, my friend Viscaria Fields. Um, their work is, uh, you know, the, the Patroclus um, works um, I really love. Um, and, um, I, I follow them all. So mm -hmm. I really recommend, um, gold and all that glitters, which is basically, um, a, a modern retelling of, uh, uh, not a retelling exactly. It's inspired by the Iliad. It has those similar beats, um, but in the modern sort of world and it's really, really well done. And, um, and there's another one that they're writing right now, um, with, uh, reincarnation. Um, alternative universe. Mm -hmm. Sunset in your veins. Sunset in your veins. Yes, that's a really nice one too. Um, yes, so uh, these are the ones that spring to mind right now. <laughs> these are the mm -hmm. ones that I've been following religiously lately. Okay, and Joe, do you want to tell us where we can find you on the internet to look at your work? Okay, so I am on Tumblr at Joe Harris um, slash. No, it's not slash. It's a dash writes um and i'm joe harris on ao3 and joe harris on twitter basically i'm joe harris everywhere and on discord mm -hmm. <laughs> so so that's j-o-h-a-e-r-y-s yeah. if you're listening yeah. um and so joe joe flavor too um <laughs> i wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing your kind of unique um experience of being a person who's living in greece and writing yeah. for um, the Iliad and the Song of Achilles. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you I for reached out to me. many, many people to talk about ancient Greece, and you were the only person who was willing <laughs> to speak out loud. We have a lot of like very, very shy warriors yeah. in this yeah. in this uh, <laughs> perpetual war. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me.